Last time we, we started, we learned uh, Alishur, we were talking about the idea of Avoda uh, Hamusaris on Midos, on improving one's uh, Midos. And as an introduction to that, we spoke about the idea that there are what we call a, a Mida Gasa and a Mida Daka. And a Mida Gasa is like, it's such a despicable Mida, it's so unrefined. Like that person who gets angry all the time, who pounds and bangs and yells. Like we, we can't talk about working on midos yet. You're not ready to like say, oh, now I'm only going to pound with one fist instead of two fists. Like it doesn't work that way. You're still in the category of a child in an adult body. When you're ready to be adults, when you're ready to be a mensch, now we can talk about working on midos. That's how sort of things sort of work. You have to first become a mensch and then you can work on yourself. But you know, if you're still a child, it's not even relevant. That word is very uh, harsh and biting words, so to speak, on, uh, on the beginning of the process. The definition of a mensch being having midos? Yeah, you have to have a certain baseline of midos to then say, I want to work on myself a little bit. There's not a person alive who can't work on themselves, but if you still have a gross, unrefined behavior, so, you know, you're just talk to, like talking to a, fo- a five-year-old and telling them, that, like, they're not ready. They're just not ready. So he begins in, in today's segment, we'll just learn a little bit, um, with the Yisod that he has that Rabbi Sol Salanter, um, Amuka, just that, that first phrase, Bechachma Amuka, Salal Rabbeinu Rabbi Yisraelim Talmidov HaGdoilim Esaderach Avoda Bemidus. With great wisdom, Rabbi Sol Salanter introduced this concept of working with on Midas. And so he asks the question, Revolva does, in general, like, why do you need a, 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 an avoda or a chachma, a wisdom to work on mitos? Like, I, I want to be better at something, just be better at it. You, you want to stop talking and davening, just stop talking. You want to be more careful in the way that you speak, just be more careful in the way that you speak. This shouldn't be so hard. This is what I want to do, just like, just do it. Why do you need a chachma? Why do you need a sefer on musr to like guide you through or to do whatever that you want to do? Like, it should be like straightforward. Now, we all know the answer is... lose weight, stop eating. Exactly, right? I want to stop smoking, so stop smoking. I want to lose weight, stop eating. But none of that works. None of that works. We all know that none of that works. It doesn't work in our spiritual life. I want to exercise. Go ahead. Who's stopping you? I don't know, but it doesn't happen. Every single night, it doesn't happen. So why is it that we live in this world that no matter what it is we want to do, whether it's in the world of spirituality, davening, learning, uh, whatever that is, or in the world of just our physical lives of eating well and exercising and going to sleep on time and doing all of those things. Like, why do we need... So the simple answer is, I don't know, because we need it. But like, the question is why? So you need to talk in a book. Very good, right. <laughs> so so why, why is that in the nature of Adam that it's like just so hard to do whatever it is that we want to do? So he introduces, he breaks it down, as uh, you know, we've all experienced this, but just to put it into words, there are a couple of things that happen every time we try something. Every time we try to take something on, there's a response that we get whenever we try to do that. Let's take, I'm not going to use chocolate cake. If somebody give me something else besides for chocolate, is there anything else out there in the world besides, uh, let's do chocolate cake. So, so uh, I'm not going to eat chocolate cake anymore. Not going to talk anymore. So we all know what generally happens. Or let's, let's use our donuts in the back. Let's just say there's a, there's a donut in the back, uh, and a person says to themselves, I, I want to lose some weight. I want to be careful with what I eat. I don't want to start my day with a donut. It, it, it ruins my day every single time it's out there. So say, great. So, uh, so they don't need a donut. So they're like, so two things will happen 
one of two things while, while this is going on. One is they're looking at the box the whole time. They're looking at the box. They're looking at everybody eating the donuts. And they're like, I'm not going to eat donuts today. I'm not going to eat donuts. And they're looking, they're looking. And then they might go one whole day. Like, let's say the first, like, maybe they'll be successful. By the second time, the whole davening, they're looking at it. And then they pounce. They've been working so hard on not eating a donut they like, they like dive in and they eat three before they even know what's happened because there's like this response of, I'm not going to, and then, you know, you, you, you jump in and it happens regularly with whatever, whether in our spiritual world, I'm not going to talk during davening. And so you're like, you're good for a minute. And then like, and then it's like a spring, like you, you push it back and then boom, it's, it's, it pounces, it pounces forward even stronger than it was before. The other thing that often happens is, the other thing that happens is the person's not going to eat donuts. And then you're looking at everyone else eating the donuts and you're like, these people are horrible people for eating donuts in the morning. Horrible people. And you start looking at everyone else like they're like a total behemoth. How could you eat a donut in the morning? You know, you've ever seen this with somebody who starts like Dafyomi? The Dafyomics will appreciate this. Like a guy shows up for the first time in like 17 years. He comes up, I'm learning Dafyomi. And then all of a sudden, he looks at everybody in shul who's not learning Dafyomi like they're a bunch of bums. And the guys around the table are like, buddy, you showed up three days ago. What are you like talking about everybody else that they're like, no good nicks? And then, and then he has the audacity to come on time once and he starts giving the evil eye to some guy who shows up three minutes late who's been coming for 17 years. Like, as soon as you start doing something, all of a sudden you become the righteous keeper of this, looking at everybody else like they're no good. Like that, these are the one, so either you spring back stronger, he writes, Revolva, or you look at everybody else like they're horrible. Like you've been doing that yourself until this very moment. I remember in, when I was in Israel, I heard a Chabura from a Rebbe man, Rav Chaim Kazman, told over a Misa, I think it's from the altar of Slavatka or the altar of Kelm, I don't remember which one, that um, a Chevra uh, in the base Medrash decided they wanted to take on a new thing, and so they took on Shabbos early. They wanted to take Shabbos in early. And so every Shabbos, every Friday, they would get themselves ready early. And already at Plag Mincha, they would go to the Beis Medrash, they'd be in the Kabbal Shabbos, and they would sit and learn for the hour and a half from Plag Mincha until Kabbalah Shabbos. And then they would, you know, join the yeshiva. But they were, that, was, that was their thing. Okay, so they did it for a few weeks, in which they would get ready early, they'd go to the Beis Medrash, they'd take on Shabbos early. And the altar stopped them, the Maisa goes. And the altar said, you can't do this anymore. Because what you're gaining in your extra Shmiras Shabbos, you're losing by viewing all of your friends as Mechalalei Shabbos. Because as you're sitting there in the base Medrash, looking at everybody else playing ball and finishing up this night, like, in your mind, you're looking at them with such disdain. Like, how could you do that? It's, it's not, it's not Kedai. It's not worth it. So where does this come from? These, and you all know I'm talking about, we've all experienced this a thousand times in ourselves and in others where anybody takes on something and all of a sudden that's what happens. Either we spring back worse than we began or we look at everybody else with disdain who's not doing whatever we're... Where does that come from? Where does that come from? So Revolve has a final... I've, I've quoted this uh, numerous times. It's one of my uh, favorite pieces of his. Following Gemara Masechus Sanhedrin. It's on section Aleph there in your sheet. We'll read this one piece inside. Amalei Antoninus Lerabi. Famous or fascinating, I should say. I don't know how famous it is, but a fascinating discussion between Antoninus and Rebbe. Antoninus and Rebbe are very often put together in the Gemara because Antoninus was the leader of uh, the Roman, um, 
legion that he was a, a higher up. I don't know exactly what level, what position officially he had. And Rebbe, of course, was a Nasi of the Rebbe Huda Nasi. And so the Gemara often puts him as the Gemara often equates the powers of Rome and, and Yahadus. And so Rebbe and Antoninus have many discussions and debates and conversations representing these two, uh, these two ideas. Rashi quoted it uh, recently um, on the birth of Yaakov and Esau, Shnei Lu'umim, Shnei Geim Bividnech, when there are two nations. Um, so the word Shnei Goyim is the way that it's pronounced, but it's pronounced Geim, two proud nations. Rashi says that's a representation of Esau and Yaakov are going to be Rebbe and Antoninus. They're going to be the manifestations of these two great nations. Um, Rashi says that they never did not have a radish on their table. They were such proud people. We spoke about it in the morale. I'd be like, what, what's the reference to that? But in any case, so they have, here's the following dialect they have. When does the Yetzirah take hold in a person? Great question. When, at what point in a person's life does the Yetzirah take hold? And now we have to deal with the power of the Yetzirah. So this is a question that Antoninus asks Rebbe. New Rebbe, what do you think? When does the Yitzhahara begin? Mishas Yitzira or Mishas Yitzia? From the time of conception, does the Yitzhahara exist in utero? Is the baby developing in its mother's womb already filled with the Yitzhahara? Or no, only when the child is born are we endowed with this great gift of the Yitzhahara. So Rebbe answers, now why, this again, that Antoninus is the one who asks this question of Rebbe, great question. Says Rebbe, Mishas Yitzira. Rebbe says it has to be from the time of conception. As soon as a child is formed and conceived, it's endowed with these two powers of the Yitzir Tov and the Yitzir It's already there in utero. Amrle Antoninus says back to Rebbe, can't be. Can't be that you're right, that there's a Yitzir already in utero. Because in Cain, the child would kick at its mother's womb to get out and would literally kick itself out. That's not 10 years ago. Can't be. If there was such a Yetzirah, that's what would happen. Omar says, Rebbe, Yes, I agree. This was taught to me. This is a true fact. And I have a proof, because the Apostle says, At the entrance, the sin crouches at the door, so to speak, a reference to when a child is born. And so Rebbe accepts that answer that it has to be. Says Revolba, this conversation, this idea, what does it mean that a child would be boit in its mother's womb to get out? What does it represent? Revolba says that that is what he calls the koach hamerida, to be a more, to be a rebellious Person. We have within us this Yetzirah to rebel. The greatest form of rebellion, if you would look at a child inside a developing embryo, a fetus in its mother's womb, and you would say, you are in the greatest place that you could possibly be. You have every need taken care of. You are in a warm, nurturing environment. You're not ready to be out in the world. And what is the Koach Marid? What does it mean to have a rebellious nature? You're telling me that I need to be here? You're telling me that this is the best place for me? I'll decide where I want to be, when I want to be there. And I kick myself out, even at the cost of my own demise, because let no one tell me what to do. That's a kolchamarita. And it's endowed within each and every one of us that let no one, no thing, no person tell me. No one, you don't, because I'll kick myself at my own expense from the best place for me possible. 
I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to be forced into anything. And it's a sense of, let me out. Let me be my own. Let me be free. Let me make my own decisions. And I'm morayed against any force, any force against me. They joke, uh, it's, it's not really a joke, but it's like sort of a joke. When, when the famous uh, Gemara says that before Hashem gave the Torah to all the nations, so he went around to them and he said, do you want it, do you want it, do you want it? And each one he asked, they asked, you know, what's in it? And uh, he gave them something that goes against their nature. So this one he said, you can't kill, you can't murder, you can't adultery. And so they all said, no, we don't want anything like that. Um, and to Klal Yisrael, they just said, yeah, not seven Nishma. So they ask, well, you know, maybe if Klal Yisrael would have known or they would have gotten something similar that goes against our nature... We also would have said, no thanks. Like, it's true that we, we, we didn't ask, but maybe had we been told what was in it, we also would have said, like, no way. So they said, again, it's like a sort of tongue-in-cheek. Hashem said at Harsinai, like, here's the border. You can't go past that. Have you ever seen a Jew at a, like, a, a borderline where there's, like, something closed off where you're not allowed to go? Like, we, what, what you, I, I, that's not for me. Like, maybe for the rest of the people, there's, like, a sign here that says, like, no entry or not this way. But, like, that was against our nature. Like, a border that says, a gvul, that says, al-yalu al-roshah. Like, you can't go any farther. We got that, too. Something mamish against our nature to follow a rule that, yeah, yeah it applies to you, too. Not, not to me. Yes, even to you. I always say to families that, uh, you know, at Shiva's when they say, like, we want to put hours, like, not, please don't visit between 12 and 1. Like, you can put it there all you want, but people are going to come and say, like, yeah, yeah, that's for everybody else. But, like, me, they want me to come between 12 and 1. <laughs> there's, just no, like, there's no way that if I came here, they don't want to see me. They're like, it's all this nature, like, I, I, like, you can't make rules that apply to me. We, like, we don't do well with rules. And that's the Kaya Khamri, that is a Yetzir Hara that says, oh no, it's okay, I could just, whatever, we can go back, we can, we can do all the driving examples we want, I can make a U-turn on the Middle Central Avenue because like, I'm allowed, like, it really doesn't impact anybody. No, no, it does. I'm allowed to park, I'm allowed to drive, double, like, all those things, like, it's, it's like, I can do what I want. No one, no rules apply to me. Don't tell me what to do. And it's, and we, it's so strong, the Rebbe agrees, had, an, had a fetus, had a Yetzir Hara, it would literally kick itself out to its own demise. That's how, uh, that's how strong it is. And it manifests itself, going back to where we started with, whenever a person starts avoda, there's like a baseline that we live with. And the Yitzhar lets us get away with whatever our baseline is, however we were raised in the communities and our parents and our schooling, like this is our life. And as soon as we touch that, it's like poking the bear. Like whatever, you know, whatever a person normally does and fights, whatever battles they want, like this is what I do. I go to davening, I speak this amount of Lashon Harp, but not that amount. And I uh, do that, whatever. As soon as you poke that bear of doing something new, something more, taking on whatever it may be. I'm going to come earlier to daven. I'm not going to speak during daven. I'm going to learn. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat. I'm going to, and whatever element of our life, it pokes this sense of, on the one hand, like these, this battle within us of like, do this. And like, I'm not. I, I, I just, and it springs back either stronger or it manifests itself in this idea of like, it, it, we like rebel against the whole, uh, the whole world around us. And that is the, the koach of the Yetzir Hara that we have of not to be contained. And so when, as we move, as we move forward in Avodah, trying to take things on, it arouses this feeling, this powerful feeling of just simply koach amarida. And that's why, as we're just getting started, that's why you need a chachma. You need a wisdom on how to grow. 
need a wisdom as to how to take things on. Small, small steps, little bits at a time. Because as we all experience in life, again, as I said, in our physical world, in our, in our life of exercise and eating and sleeping, and in our spiritual world, we just take things on. It never works. We all know that. It doesn't work. It doesn't last. And most of the times it ends up springing back worse than where we started from, or we just we like, can't engage socially with those who are not. We just, we don't do well with it. And that's this, uh, that's the sense. So that is his introduction. That is his introduction. And we'll, uh, we'll talk more about uh, this as we, uh, as we go along. Ritz Hashem.